Please turn with me to the book of Nahum, chapter 2. Nahum, chapter 2. And since this chapter is really given this poetic language concerning the judgment of Nineveh, we'll read verses 1 through 13. We've been talking about that this is a continuation of the book of Jonah, that this is the second part, if you will, dealing with Nineveh, and judgment is coming upon the city. It has been perhaps a hundred years later, somewhere like that, uh, from the time that Jonah had preached to the Ninevites until Nahum is preaching. Much is going on, realizing God's grace has ended, it is time for judgment. He has given plenty of time, his patience has been seen, his long-suffering, and now the prophet is commissioned to do the very thing that Jonah wanted to do, but it was for this prophet to do. He is pronouncing judgment. Now, we talked about that this is primarily towards Nineveh, which is the capital city of the empire of Assyria. God is getting ready to judge the empire. Though it's a judgment against Nineveh, it is the message is primarily given to the people of God in Judah. The northern kingdom is already gone. The Assyrians have already sacked the northern kingdom. They've already deported them out in 722 B.C. They have caused Judah a number of problems. And now the Lord is bringing judgment. And this message is given to Judah primarily. Now, did he preach this to Nineveh? There's a good reason to believe that he did that this message did get to them, but it's primarily given to the people of God, which is very interesting altogether because if you're pronouncing judgment, normally it would be towards the people that you intend to judge. But instead, it is primarily given to the people of God. It really teaches us something concerning God's working in the nations. What is God's message to the nations? Speaking of the nations, I'm referring to the unbelieving world. What is his message to them? Well, he commands all people everywhere to repent. Absolutely. But the message that we have here against those that are unbelieving in rebellion against the Lord, the enemies of the Lord, specifically of Nineveh and Assyria as a whole, is basically summed up in what the Lord says in verse 13, which is, I am against you. That is the message to the world. The unbelieving culture, the unbelieving world that lies in the bosom of the evil one, as the scriptures say, under the power of Satan. The Lord's message is, I am against you. And as you work through this particular passage of scripture of chapter 2, you're seeing this very strong language that is coming about through the prophet, but from the Lord, expressing a number of different things that are set to cause fear within the hearts of those that have rebelled against him. And yet at the same time, you have hope that is also presented to us in this passage for the people of God. It's an interesting dichotomy uh, for sure, because while you see the judgment of God, you also see hope and comfort uh, from, from the people of God or for the people of God. It, it teaches us that God is truly concerned and takes interest in what the world is doing. 
You know, as we look to, as we, you know, in our Christian faith, we read the scripture, we study the scripture, we have all these commands that are given to us of how we should walk before the Lord and all of that. But what does the Lord say to the unbelieving world? Is he indifferent about what's going on? Is he idle? Is he unable to do anything? And the message of Nahum towards Nineveh teaches us that God is actively taking account of what is going on amongst all people. And that God will right all the wrongs at his appointed time. It is a message that is truly encouraging uh, for the people of God, but one that should be terrifying uh, to those who have rebelled against him. We'll see a number of different things in this passage, but if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible word. And let us give our attention to the Holy Scripture. Nahum chapter 2, beginning verse 1. The one who scatters has come up against you. Man the fortress, watch the road, strengthen your back, summon all your strength. For the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel, even though devastators have devastated them and destroyed their vine branches. The shields of his mighty men are colored red. The warriors are dressed in scarlet. The chariots are enveloped in flashing steel. When he is prepared to march and the cypress spears are brandished, the chariots race madly in the streets. They rush wildly in the, in the squares. Their appearance is like torches. They dash to and fro like lightning flashes. He remembers his nobles. They stumble in their march. They hurry to her wall. And the mantelet is set up. The gates of the rivers are open and the palace is dissolved. It is fixed. She is stripped. She is carried away and her handmaids are moaning like the sound of doves beating on their breasts. Though Nineveh was like a pool of water throughout her days, now they are fleeing. Stop, stop, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold, for there is no limit to the treasure. Wealth from every kind of desirable object. She is emptied. She is desolate and waste. Hearts are melting and knees knocking. Also anguish is in the whole body and all their faces grown pale. Where is the den of lions in the feeding place of the young lions? Where is the lion, lioness, and lion's cub, lion's cub prowled with nothing to disturb them? The lion tore enough for his cubs, killed enough for his lionesses, and filled his lairs with prey and his dens with the torn flesh. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. I will burn up her chariots in smoke. A sword will devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the land, and no longer will the voice of your messengers be heard. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you once again for the privilege that we have of coming into your presence to learn from you, to be led by you, to be guided, to be changed by the Spirit of God who resides within us. Father, as we work our way through this passage, as we see your judgment being poured out, let us also be encouraged by it. Let us also be comforted. We pray that you would indeed have your way and that all that you desire in us will be done by the Spirit of God. We love you. We give you all the praise and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, amen. Please be seated. 
<clears throat> there is a lot here that the Lord is speaking through the prophet, speaking to Nineveh, the place that once had repented and had, had sat in sackcloth and ashes, had declared a fast, calling upon the name of the Lord. Turned, they have turned back to their idols. They have turned back to their wickedness. God has taken notice of this, and now God is going to declare that he is against them and that he is bringing war against them. It's, it's interesting altogether as you look at the whole of what's, what's happening. It's like, why did the Lord take interest in Nineveh to begin with? They're a pagan society. They're, they're removed from the land of Israel. Isn't God just concerned with Israel, his covenant people? He's not in covenant with any of these other folks. And yet at the very same time, you see that as Jonah is sent to Nineveh to begin with, that it is because God is also concerned or interested, rather, in all of his creation, meaning all the nations, taking account of what is going on in them. He doesn't sit idly by. He doesn't, he, he's not indifferent to what occurs in, in the nations that are altogether unbelieving. He's not just concerned about his own people. And that's what you're finding in Jonah, and that's what you're finding here in Nahum. These are the enemies of God's people. These are the enemies of the Lord himself, and this is his message to them. And yet, this message, again, is one of comfort to the people of God. But to begin, it is a message of judgment. The Lord is going to bring judgment upon them because of their wickedness, because of their sin, because of their trespasses. And by the way, this isn't just an innocent people. There are accounts of the, the certain kings that, of Assyria and all the horrendous tortures that they would do to people. And, and, and just, just to do it. We think of, of some of them that was recorded by James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary on this book of how some of these kings would just have people torn apart. Chopped up. I mean, it's, it's horrendous the things that they would do to people. So this isn't a nation that is innocent. This isn't a, a moral nation, if you will, as to why it is that the Lord's bringing judgment. And even if it was just a moral nation, they're still in their sins and they still deserve judgment. That's something that we need to take account of as well. That in any judgment that God brings that he is just in doing so because they are in rebellion, regardless if we think that they're more moral than others. It just so happens that these here are indeed very evil, wicked people. And as judgment is being given, sometimes that, that doesn't sit well with us. Sometimes it makes us a little nervous thinking about it. Why it is that the Lord has to bring judgment and all of this? But at the same time, if you begin to understand something about the character of the Lord, you understand that when he's bringing judgment, it is because he is altogether righteous. That's why he brings judgment. Because he is holy. This is why he brings judgment. And if we begin to understand the very character of God, then we can understand why it is that he does what he does. If God is holy, he is altogether separate from us. He is not wicked at all. There's no darkness in him. He is altogether a good God. He is altogether righteous, meaning he does everything that is right. 
then what is right is to punish sin. And so, as we're seeing this judgment declared, we're seeing that God is altogether righteous. That he is going to right the wrongs. That he is going to punish because his holiness cries out for justice. That teaches us of the character of God. It's not just that God is wrathful. We, we look at passages like this and we, we just, that's the first thing that comes to our mind is God's wrath. God is all wrathful. God is so mean. But God brings wrath and God brings judgment because God is holy and because God is righteous. Those are the things that we need to consider before we just go straight to, well, God is wrathful and mean. He does what is right. He is altogether good. Understand this, that only a good God exists. Only a righteous God exists. Only a holy God exists. And his holiness and his righteousness is demonstrated through these acts of judgment that we can have a glimpse of his holiness and righteousness. It is the demonstration that he is righteous and holy when he brings judgment. And so while we sometimes recoil at passages like this or we think it's too much or other people, of course, uh, have much to say when it comes to passages like this. It is teaching us of the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, what man deserves, God being just and delivering it. But it makes us also reflect upon the fact that God's wrath and his judgment, which we rightfully deserve, is not going to come upon us because of Christ and the work that he accomplished on behalf of sinners. We see passages like this, and it reminds us this is what we deserve too because God is holy and because God is righteous. And then it helps us to even consider more. Why is it that Christ came? Christ came and did what he did because God is holy and God is righteous. Why did God pour out his wrath upon his son? Because he's holy and righteous and sin has to be paid for. So all these passages like this remind us, one, of our state before the Lord, before our conversion, and then remind us, too, of the grace of God that is extended to us because the judgment of God and, and the wrath of God that we look at in passages like this will not be poured out upon those that are in Christ because it was already poured out upon Christ. And God does these things because he's righteous and holy. He's good. So messages of judgment really present to us character and the attributes of our God. Not a God who is flying off the handle, lashing out irrationally, but a God who is long-suffering and a God who is patient, who brought about his judgment at the appointed time because these refused to submit. These refused to repent. To call upon him in faith. So yes, it is a message of judgment. It's also a message of God's power. I mean, think of what he's saying here. <clears throat> he's saying that the shields of his mighty men, he's talking about though that army perhaps that he will bring against them. He's saying that there's 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 none that can that can 
hide from him. There are none that will escape. I mean, that's what he's referring to when you're looking at uh, verses 1 and 2. The one who scatters has come up against you. Man the fortress, watch the road, strengthen your back, summon all your strength. For the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob. Even though devastators have devastated them and destroyed their vine branches. Go ahead, summon all your strength that you have. But the end result is, God will do what he decided to do. There are none that can hide. There, there's, there's nothing that they can do. When he's talking in verses 11 and 12, where is the den of the lions in the feeding place of the young lions? Where the lion, lioness, and the lion's cub prowled? With nothing to disturb them, they were at peace. There were none that could come up against them. There were none that could stand before them. That's the idea that's being brought out in these, within this language. You would fill your layers with prey. You had enough food for, for the lionesses and the cubs and all that kind of language. And then he says, I am against you. You thought you were, you, you were secure. You thought you had everything that you needed. You thought you had all the strength and the power of an army. But the one who scatters has come up against you. And that is, that is speaking to the fact that there are none, there, there's no nation, no matter how strong, that can stand before the Lord and his power. Israel stood before this nation, the northern kingdom, and was taken captive and deported out of their own land. Judah has been sacked by this particular empire, has called upon the Lord a number of times because they keep coming. This is a massive empire, one that we would consider to be strong and mighty, one to be feared. And yet, what are they to the Lord? Nothing. That the Lord is able to carry out exactly what he's saying, and he did, by the way. And he did it by using the Babylonians and and the the Persians with a coalition that they had at the time. It's... It's a very interesting thing that as they are they're laying siege to the city, that because of the heavy rainfalls that had occurred at the time that this, is, that this is happening, that it weakened the walls so that the walls collapsed and the armies were able to get in. Now you think of that. The Lord is saying here, I'm against you and there's nothing you can do about it. And I will bring judgment upon you. And then when you're looking in history, when it actually did happen, who would have thought that? Because of heavy rainfall, making the ground soft, whatever had occurred there, and the walls collapsed to allow the armies to come in? That's as if the Lord is saying, your time's done. Go in. And he did it by by the word of his power. Because he has all power. He has all authority no matter who it is that stands before him. And when he purposes to do something, none can thwart his hand. There are none that can thwart his hand. There is no place you can hide. There is no place that that they could be secure. I mean, when you think of the language that is given in the book of Revelation... In, in chapter 6, 
when, when Christ comes back, the mighty men and the kings, what are they doing? They're, they're crying out to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the, from the wrath of God and, and the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of the wrath has come. Who is able to stand? That there is no place that is secure for them when the Lord rises up against them. Now, again, just to remind us of this, that we're seeing God's power, that when he, is, he intends to do something, when he intends to bring judgment or to chastise, whatever it is that he intends to do upon an unbelieving nation and an unbelieving people, that he will bring about what he intends to do. And yet, again, this message is primarily given not to Nineveh, but to the people of Judah that are being oppressed by them. Upon hearing this message, because this is also not just a message of judgment, it's not just a message concerning God's power and his might, but it is a message of hope for those that are his. This is an encouragement to the people of God that those who are oppressing you, those who are laying siege to the city, as you read about during the days of Hezekiah, that this, this massive empire that you fear will be taken care of by the Almighty God. And he did. And the people of God are hearing the prophet's message, and they're being encouraged in their hearts that the Lord takes notice of what is happening. The Lord is not indifferent to what is happening. These nations, these rebels that have... Risen, risen up against God's people, have risen up against him. He's taking notice of this, and he's acting, he's vindicating his name. And so the people of God are indeed encouraged by a judgment that is being given here. Nineveh's judgment means that Israel is going to be delivered. That's why it's a hope. That's why it's a comfort to the people of God in that time. And the Lord, again, brought about exactly what he said he was going to do. Now, <clears throat> a message like this is not necessarily intended for us to, to pray for God's judgment upon those that we don't like. But it is a message that is intended for us to recognize and to reflect upon this, that even though we get so caught up in so many things that are going on today and we get discouraged and we get downtrodden because of, of whatever, whatever you want to choose that's going on in the nation, because of all the immorality, we get, we get discouraged because we want to do something. And there's often nothing that we can do because we'll never have the voice that those others have and so we feel helpless at times but God's message to the unbelieving world is I am against you and that's a terrifying thought a terrifying reality that God is against you I was talking to one of our uh, fellow workers today and we were talking about how the unbelieving are are, are darkened in their understanding they're ignorant of of the state in which they stand before god 
of how terrifying that it is for us who, who know and who are believing to consider their state because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. When you think of the sermon of Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he describes it as the Lord holding them over the fire like a spider. holding He's holding the web, and at any moment he could let go. And sudden terrors were come upon them. If they understood the reality of the situation that they are in, it would be much different, I think. But they are darkened in their understanding. They love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And they are blind to the reality of things. And so they do what they do. They speak ill of God's people. They speak ill of the Lord. They make an open mockery. And it gets us angry. But the fact of the matter is this, that at God's appointed time, he will right all the wrongs. He will deliver his people, and he will vindicate his name among his enemies. That's what we take hope in. That's what we rely on. We pray that the Lord would allow us to, to snatch people out of the fire, as what Jude says, while we have time, and we pray that God will be merciful to those whom we know and whom we love that we are trying to reach. But generally speaking, the overall enemy of the Lord, the world, that is always contrasted against God's people, that when he rises up against them, that in the time that he does so, he is going to demonstrate his righteousness and his holiness, and yet his mercy and grace toward those that are his. That's where you have that that passage of Romans 9 that describes the vessels of wrath that are prepared for destruction in the vessels of mercy. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to show his, his intense wrath, with much long suffering, he endured the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction so that he can show the riches of his grace to the vessels of mercy? Ultimately, God will, God will act and by the way, we, we look at, when we're talking about things like this, we're talking about how God will act on a grand scale. We're talking about when he comes back. And we're talking about how Christ is coming back in, in with, with his holy ones and, and flaming fire, dealing out retribution and all of the, the things that the Apostle Paul says to us. We're talking about the Lord on that kind of a grand scale who is bringing judgment upon those who are his enemies. We see it on a small scale here. But we also understand that God is still doing this even now within the world. He does bring judgment. He does pour out his wrath. He does vindicate his name even now. So it's not as if he's waiting and he's idle and he's indifferent until his appointed time. He is still moving and acting and he's involved in what's going on in the nation here, and he's involved in the nations elsewhere. He's dealing out retribution as he sees fit, but one day it's going to be on the grand scale when all evil will be dealt with. And when it occurs, it'll be an event that will show the riches of his grace to the vessels of mercy, the vessels of his grace that, that are in Christ. Again, this is one that we might recall at, being like, how can we have hope 
but God pours out judgment and wrath. But it is for these very reasons that the character of God is demonstrated for us. Because if we understand his character more and more, then we understand ours with respect to him. And it helps us even more to appreciate and be so grateful for the mercy and grace that is shown to us. It is a message of hope because as we see so many things and we feel helpless, but we remember that the all-powerful God can do whatever he determines to do. And when he rises up to act, none can thwart his hand. And then it's the message of hope to us that he will deliver his people. So in the time in which we find ourselves, which is really no, no different than any other time in history, I think every generation likes to think that they have more debaucherous things in their generation than the generations before, but it's really not so. It's the same. It's the same stuff. But instead of allowing ourselves to be so caught up, we remember what is getting ready to occur. We remember the state that they find themselves in, and hopefully that will help to uh, bring more compassion to us as we deal with them. You know, just as the psalmist had said in Psalm 73, he was envious of the wicked until he entered into the sanctuary of God, and then he remembered their state. So knowing the judgment of God, it should produce in us also much compassion and mercy upon those that at any other point we would allow to move us to anger and resentment and bitterness. Maybe one of you mechanics ought to help that one. Boy, that was loud. <laughs> But this isn't, this isn't our Lord just being wrathful and mean. But he is being presented to us in a way that we can grow to appreciate our salvation that is found in Christ. Because none of us deserve it. None of us are any better than these that are having judgment brought, up, brought upon them. When God pours out his wrath at any point, and you think about when God pours out his wrath, you're considering that every time an unbeliever dies... They die because the Lord is taking them out. And what is thereafter is punishment until the final punishment. So God is actively still working, actively pouring out his judgment and wrath every time he extinguishes the breath that is in any of his enemies. So be encouraged that God is working. Be encouraged that God is involved and that God is taking notice. And then allow these things not just to produce, um, uh, the, these things that are in the world to produce in us anger and resentment and bitterness, but allow it to penetrate our hearts to recognize that these are under the judgment of God and they don't even know it. Oh Lord, allow me, while, the, while, while I still have time, 
to do my part in trying to reach them. And, oh, Lord, give the increase as you see fit. Passages like this produce in us a number of different things, not just to look at and say, oh, there's more wrath. God is being wrathful again. No, he's showing you who he is, his righteous and holy nature and his merciful nature and his gracious nature that you have received. So let it be an encouragement to all of us that at God's appointed time, he will indeed vindicate his name and he will deliver his people. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, thank you once again for who you are. Father, thank you for your word, which presents to us your attributes and your character that should indeed give us hope Hope in the living God, who is all-powerful, almighty, who will indeed bring to pass all that you desire to do and all that you have decreed to do, and who has extended grace and mercy to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus, that we can be the recipients of your love for no other reason than you chose to. Father, let, let that sink in to our minds. Let it. Do a, a work within us by the Spirit of God to be so appreciative and grateful for all that you've done in Christ. We pray that, that we would be encouraged by this passage of Scripture and that it would promote in us a greater desire to try to reach the lost while we have time and while they have time. That if it would be your will, that we might be able to bring friends and family to the saving knowledge of God your power. Father, thank you again, and may you be glorified in us and produce in us all that, all that you would will us to do. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention, and you are dismissed.